Well, good morning. Good morning. Ah, much, much better. All right. We're pretty stoked about this week. We're going to be talking about treasure, pirates, and I want you to say out loud, Black Sam. Black Sam. He was the most famous pirate of all time, Captain Black Sam Bellany. He was the richest pilot, pirate. He wasn't a pilot. He was a pirate. He may have been a pilot. He was, he was the most famous, and he had a ship called the Wida. And the Wida Galley was sunk in 1717. Here's a picture of the Wida Galley. And it's a beautiful ship, and it was not discovered until 1984. In 1984, we found the ship. Captain Black Sam Bellany was rich, and this was his flagship. He was the most notorious pirate of all times. This ship, when they discovered it and found it and exhumed it, brought it up, $400 million worth of treasure on this ship alone, just this ship that sunk. There was gold, there was jewelry, there was silver, there was the original cannons, and even they found the ship's bell. Pretty, pretty cool story. And if you've ever seen this painting, this picture, this is the Wida Gallery from the most famous, uh, you know, pirate that, that ever lived. Um, another famous treasure hunter was Mel Fisher. How many of you heard the name of Mel Fisher? Okay, all right, several of you. Mel Fisher was an Indiana boy. He then took his wife, and they went to California, started a scuba diving company, and then he came to the Florida Keys, and he heard about a ship named the Atosha. And the Atosha became a 16-year quest. And every morning, Mel Fisher would tell his crew, today could be the day. Today could be the day. Today could be the day we find the Atosha. And after 16 years of discovery, they found the Atosha. And the Atosha was also filled with gold, silver, jewelry, over 250,000 artifacts. And $500 million worth of treasure came up on this boat. Now... It was found in Florida, so the state of Florida said, it's mine, and it was a Spanish ship, right? So Spain said, it's mine, and it spent eight years in court, went all the way up to the Supreme Court, and the Supreme Court said, finders keepers, and they got to keep all half a billion dollars of treasure. Have you ever been treasure hunting? Have you ever found anything? How many of you have been treasure hunting before? And you found like an old Coca-Cola can or something, you know, something real, real significant. Well, this means a lot to Danita and I. This is a quarter, and we were celebrating our 25th, so you get it, quarter, 25th, our 25th wedding anniversary. And we're in a remote part of St. John, and there we find a quarter with the date of our wedding anniversary, 1984. So um, we think this was cool, significant, and for us, it's priceless. On the open market, it's worth about 25 cents, okay? <laughs> but um, anyway, that's, that's the way it is. Jesus talked a lot about treasure. In fact, Jesus seemed to watch people put their treasure even in the offering bags. That would be a little odd, wouldn't it, for us all to march up here and watch each other give, give our offerings? Jesus was a treasure hunter. Maybe that's a little bit of a stretch, but he did talk about treasure. In fact, in some of Jesus' parables, he talked about treasure. Now, we're going to camp out in Matthew chapter 6 this morning in just a few verses, but I want to read for you a verse from Matthew chapter 13, verse 44, about treasure. So here's a verse for you to, just to, to ponder. The kingdom of heaven is like treasure hidden in a field. 
When a, man, when a man found it, he hid it again, and then in his joy, he went and he sold all he had, and he bought that field. I love Jesus' parables about value. In fact, if you really think about Jesus, he is the ultimate long-term investor. We're going to go to Matthew chapter 6 right now. And in Matthew chapter 6, if you just read the first couple of verses of this, first part of Matthew chapter 6, verse 19, Jesus says, do not store it up. Do not store up. And so if that's all the verse that we had, we would conclude that Jesus was kind of like an ascetic. Jesus didn't want us to have material possessions. Jesus would like be against us storing up anything here on this earth or for the future, just like, just like live with like two or three pairs of shoes, ladies. Is that possible? I shouldn't pick on the women. Uh, guys, just one fishing rod. Okay. All right. Now we've gone to preaching, haven't we? All right now. So, so when you look at the first part of that verse and it says, do not store up, you're going, oh, and then, then you keep reading. It says, do not store up treasures. Do not store up for yourselves treasures. And so you're going, okay, well, again, here it comes. Here comes the part about Jesus. We can't have anything. We can't enjoy life. That's not true at all. In fact, Paul says in 1 Timothy chapter 6, he's given us all things for us to enjoy. So what is this verse? What is Matthew 6, 19 saying? He says this, do not store up for yourselves treasures on earth. He doesn't tell you not to store up treasure. In fact, in just a second, the next verse, in just a few minutes, he's going to tell you to store it up. Now, I love this because the few times I ever went to church, I always thought you couldn't ever store anything up because I only knew verse 19. In just a minute, verse 20, Jesus is going to say, store it up, baby, store it up. Store up all that you possibly can. It just, it's a matter of where. And so here's Jesus' point. Do not store up for yourselves treasures on earth. Why? Because they don't last. Why? Because it's a short-term investment. He's not saying you can't have stuff. He's not saying you can't enjoy stuff. He's just saying on earth, if you store it up here, this is where moth and rust destroy. This is where thieves break in and steal. And so what Jesus is doing is he's challenging our investment strategy. You know, you think about 30 or 40 years for an IRA or Roth or 403B. I mean, Jesus is talking about the first hundred trillion years of your life. That's the ultimate long-term investment. Now, what do people store up? What do you store up? What do I store up? What is it that people want to consume and, and have more and more of? And, and is that wrong? I, I don't, probably not. Probably not wrong, but it's just not going to last. What, what, what in your family have people stored up? What, what did your parents store up? What did, what did your grandparents store up? I had two sets of grandparents, loved them both deeply and dearly. One lived a mile south of us. One lived a mile west of us. I rode my bicycle. I ate dinner at my house. I would ride my bike to their house and eat dinner again. It was wonderful. I, I, I ate great with my grandmothers, loved my grandmothers. They both went straight to heaven. But anyway, <laughs> one of the sets of grandparents, I mean, I just think about it, and they would always blame it on the Great Depression, but I would think about the things that my grandparents stored up. One set of grandparents like stored up bread, twist ties. They stored up soap. I mean, we had enough soap in their house to cleanse all of Indiana of all the sins of all time. 
They, they, he stored up gunpowder. This grandfather had 25-pound kegs of gunpowder in his basement. About 15 feet away was an open gas stove. And I, I, think, I think about that today, how foolish that really was. They would store up cash. You know, they would store up National Geographic magazines. In his garage, there were 30 years of National Geographic magazines. And the reason I know that is my dad would always ask me to come over and fix the garage. I said, why are we fixing the garage? He said, well, your grandfather, he ran through the garage again, and the bricks on the back end of the garage are all falling out. So we'd go fix the garage. So I'm in the kitchen one day with my grandmother, and I open up one of the drawers, I'm about 16 years old, and I kid you not, there are 5,000 bread twist ties in this drawer. I'm not exaggerating. And I said, Grandma, I said, why do you have so many bread twist ties? She said, well, Kurt Arnold, you never know when you might need one. I'm going, well, you, you've, got, you've got plenty right, right here. You've got enough. And, and, and they, would store, they would stash cash all around the house, kind of a three-story house with a basement. And, and there would be like, so when they died... This is a true story. I know I'm a preacher and I tell tall tales, but this is an absolute true story. My mom and dad spent two weeks going through that entire house looking for cash. And they would, they would pull a brick out in the basement, and there would be a stack of like 50s. They'd go upstairs in the attic and underneath like a, like a bread basket, they'd find like 20s. I mean, that, whoever bought that house, and we know we didn't get all the cash. Whoever bought that house, they thought they'd died and gone to heaven. There's, there's no, no, no question about that. What, what, what do you store up? What is it that you want to store up? Um, Jesus said, don't store it for just treasures on earth where moth and rust destroy. If it was me, I'd probably store up boats, okay? But again, old Mr. Saltwater gets a hold of the boats. And in this particular analogy, when he talks about don't store for yourselves treasures in heaven where moth and rust destroy, where thieves break in and steal, those houses were mud. And those mud houses were pretty easy to break into. It'd be, it'd be better just to leave the doors unlocked. Just, just come in and steal our stuff. Or they're putting a big hole in the wall. But, but he's talking about how, how even the clothes, and we all know this. We all know clothes. They, they just, they, they don't last, right? Before we moved here, about 11 years ago, I was getting ready to do a wedding like a month before we all moved down here. And this lady, her name was Mrs. Sweeney. I'll never forget this. Mrs. Sweeney and her husband, Jeff, were getting married, second marriage. And she gave me a Tommy Bahama shirt for doing the wedding. Well, I'd heard of the clothing line before, but I'd never had anything. I mean, we're in Memphis. I never had anyone. I thought I had died and gone to heaven. And I love those shirts and those pair of pants from Tommy Bahama. They're cooler. They're silk. They're very expensive. I'm justifying my sins in front of all of you, okay? You can justify anything if you work hard enough at it. You notice that? But, but it was so funny because about seven and a half years later, I'm waxing Erica's car, the oldest daughter's car, and I needed a rag to wipe the wax off the car. And that Tommy Bahama shirt was full of holes seven and a half years later. So I rip it up, and I'm, I remember thinking, this is hilarious. I'm using a beautiful shirt to wipe the wax off the oldest daughter's car. Jesus is just saying, it's not that you can't store things up, but it just, it's silly. Jesus is saying, it's silly to put so much effort into that which brings so little return. And so everybody in the room 
has to decide what you're going to do with your stuff and what you're going to do with your wealth and what you're going to do with your life. And so Jesus says in Matthew 6, 19, he says, don't, don't store it up on earth because it's not going to last. But he says, store it up. Look at verse 20. But store up for yourselves treasures in heaven. So Jesus is suggesting strongly that you live a life of investing in the kingdom of God because that's an eternal investment. And what Jesus is really saying is it's pretty dumb to invest your life for about 70 or 80 years when this is the only thing you can take with you for the next 100 trillion years of your life, which again is just the appetizer stage of the full course meal. And so Jesus is saying, but wise people, people who understand investing, people who understand rate of return, people who understand how to leverage their life, they'll store up treasures in heaven where moth and rust don't destroy, where thieves do not break in and steal. And we all get this. We own these houses but I'm not really sure that I own a house. I think the house own me, owns me, right? We own stuff, but I'm not really sure that I own it. I think that stuff owns me. It, it causes maintenance. It causes requ- take, takes time to fix all those things. And Jesus is saying, but you've got a choice here. You can store up for yourselves treasures in heaven. Well, one of the greatest Christians who ever lived was undoubtedly the Apostle Paul. But before Paul became a believer, Paul was incredibly successful, incredibly successful as just a a, a leader, a Pharisee. And Paul would say to you and to me, I didn't have it together. Here's what Paul says. Paul says this in Philippians chapter 3. Paul said, look how successful I am. I'm storing up my treasures on earth. I'm circumcised on the eighth day. I'm of the people of the tribe of Israel. I'm sorry, the people of Israel, tribe of Benjamin. I'm a Hebrew of Hebrews. In regard to the law, I'm a Pharisee. As for zeal, I persecute the church. As for righteousness based on the law, he says, I am faultless. And here's what Paul would tell everybody. And see, I'm talking to a very group, I'm a group of very successful people in this room. You are successful. You're successful with school. You're successful with athletics. You're successful in the arts. You're successful with business. You're successful in investing. You're successful with family. You're successful with the church. Everybody in this room has climbed the ladder of success. And what Paul is saying is halfway through my life, I discovered I had my ladder leaning on the wrong wall. I was climbing the ladder of success, Paul would say, but I had it leaning on the wrong daggone wall. So is that you today? Maybe you're very successful with this and this and this and that. But where's your ladder? And what ladder are you leaning against? So here's what Paul said. Let me tell you about success. But whatever were gains to me, I now consider loss for the sake of Christ. What is more, I consider everything a loss because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord, for whose sake I've lost all things. I consider all that stuff garbage that I may gain Christ and be found in him. Not having a righteousness of my own that comes from the law, but that which is through faith in Christ, the righteousness that comes from God on the basis of faith. I want to know Christ. You talk about an eternal treasure. You talk about a value. You talk about leveraging your life. I want to know Christ. 
Yes, to know the power of his resurrection and the participation in his sufferings, becoming like him in his death, and so somehow to attain to the resurrection from the dead. You want to leverage your life? It's about attaining the resurrection, which is eternal. Not that I've obtained all this or have already arrived at this, but I press on to take hold of that for which Christ Jesus took hold of me. In other words, he's saying I'm still storing up treasures in in heaven. Brothers and sisters, I don't consider myself yet to have taken hold of it. But one thing I do, I forget what's behind me, and I strain toward what is ahead. I press on toward the goal to win the prize for which God has called me heavenward. And there's always a price to pay. There's always a price to pay for kingdom work. There's always a price to pay. Here's what Paul says in 2 Corinthians chapter 4, verse 17. He said, though, even though there's a price to pay, I'm willing to pay it. Again, that's something you have to figure out in this room. If you're not a Christian this morning, you get to sit back and relax and think through this. You do. If you're not sure about Jesus and the church and the Bible, you get to sit in a pretty doggone objective position and think through this. But here's what Paul concluded. The first half of his life, the ladder was on the wrong wall. And now he's got his ladder on an eternal perspective. And here's what he said. He said, for our light and momentary troubles are achieving for us eternal glory that outweighs them all. And so what I do, Paul says, I fix my eyes not on what is seen, but what is unseen. Since what is seen is temporary, but what is unseen is eternal. And so again... Matthew chapter 6, verse 20, Jesus says, store it up, store it up, store it up. Now, let me tell you what this doesn't mean. This doesn't mean that you quit school. This doesn't mean that you don't fill out the application. This doesn't mean that you underperform. There's nothing great about a believer underperforming. In fact, I think as Christians, we should overperform. Because that's our platform. When we perform poorly, we lose our witness, we lose our platform. But when we perform well or we overperform, that gives us an opportunity then to leverage our lives for the kingdom of God. And so here's what Jesus is saying in a nutshell. You have an option with your life. You're going to store it up. You're going to. You're going to store up stuff. And there's nothing wrong with stuff, but are you going to store up things for the kingdom of God? So you say, well, Kurt, I'm not really sure what that looks like. Or again, if you're new to church today or you just got lost, you turned down Marshall Street and you got lost on Marshall Street, you you ended up in this room this morning. What, what, What does that look like? Well, everybody in the room has a chance to be a part of kingdom work and kingdom activities. And there's a lot of ways to be a part of of storing up treasures in heaven outside the local church. There's no question about that. But I don't want to tell you this. I know when you lean in to the local church, you are storing up treasures in heaven. You say, well, pastor, how do you know that? Because the only institution that Jesus ever established was a local church. Jesus did not establish any other institution. I'm not saying you shouldn't be a part of that. I'm not saying that. But I am saying this. When you lean in and dial in the local church, that's why I'm leading the local church. That's why I'm a part of the local church. It's the only institution that I know, that I know, that I know that Jesus established. And so when you lean into the local church, you are storing up treasures in heaven. Say, well, say, well how, how do we do that? Well, every prayer you pray is written in a book. 
Do you know that? Malachi talks about that. Every prayer that you pray, every dollar that you give, it's like a 10,000-fold investment in the kingdom of God. It's in the scriptures. I don't have time to go through that. Every time you fast, every time you say, you know what, I'm fasting because I'm hungering and thirsting for God to do great things in my family or in my work or in my neighborhood, every time you hunger and thirst for righteousness more than you hunger and thirst for your frappuccino, you're building up treasures in heaven. Now just think about this this morning. You drove onto this campus this morning, and somebody was here before 7 o'clock putting out all those cones in the parking lot. Somebody filled all those communion trays. So, somebody, somebody's about 180 or so, or signed up this week for Vacation Bible School, and over 375 children so far are registered. Somebody leans into children's ministries. Somebody's lean into youth ministries. Somebody's lead connect groups. Somebody's are elders. Somebody's are staff. You just think about how many different ways you can make a difference. There's a thousand different ways we could list right now for you to make a difference in the kingdom of God. And you know what he does? He just puts those opportunities in front of you, I think, daily, to give, to pray, to love, to serve, to care, to honor. But it's a choice. It always comes down to a choice. I'm going to store up treasures on earth. Again, nothing wrong with stuff. I'm not saying that. Because First Timothy says he gives us all things for us to, to enjoy. But it's when those things become the idols and the gods, then you're not able to at the same time to store up for yourselves treasures that are in, in heaven. You know, this week at Vacation Bible School, I mean, just look behind me. Somebody's got here and worked on stage and built all this stuff, didn't they? Somebody decorated all this stuff and, and, and did all that. And, and, and guess what? Every single day, you and I can store up for ourselves treasures on, on this earth. And so Jesus is like the long, long-term investor. Well, in this section of Scripture, the next couple of verses talk about the eye is the, the lamp of the body, and if your eyes are good, your whole body will be full of light. And I thought, what does that have to do with this whole section on treasure? And I'll use Tom Goodlett's words. Now, Tom says that verse messed with me. Have you ever heard Tom say that? That verse messed with me. So I thought about this, this all, all week long because he says here in Matthew six twenty two, he says, the eye is the lamp of the body, and if your eyes are healthy your whole body will be full of light. And I thought, and then Jesus goes right back to talking about you can't serve God and mammon, you can't serve God and money, you got to choose a master. And I thought, why all these ver- why that verse on the eyes in the middle of a whole section on basically treasure and money? Why, why about the eyes? And after about three or four days, I went, okay, I get it. I get it. He's saying, do you see it? Do you see it? Do you see that you have one life to live? 
Do, do you see the fact that you're going to spend your one little life either storing up treasures on earth or you're going to spend your life storing up treasures in heaven? He says, do, do you see that? Because the eye is the lamp of the body. If your eyes are good, your whole body will be full of light. But if your eyes aren't good, you don't see it. You, you don't recognize it. And so even in the room this morning, there's some of you that, that, that won't see it. You'll leave today and, and, and you, you won't see it. But I think most of you in this room, I think you see it. I think you get it. I think that's why you're leaned in and dialed in to the things of the kingdom of God. And so Jesus says, it just makes sense. It just makes sense. Let's put that scripture up there. It makes sense, that slide, to put effort into that which brings the greatest return.